0: We could use some, it's getting dusty. Mm. All right, uh, let's do our Old Testament lesson today. Uh, we're going to do 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, verses 11 to 21. 1 Kings nineteen, eleven to 21, it reads, God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore at the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake The Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Maloha, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will lead 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen, and he ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again. For what, I have, what have I done to you? And he returned from following him, and he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So um, God was not in the big mighty wind, broke rocks, and God was not... And the earthquake, and God was not, in the fire, where was God? Yeah, but how? Whispering word. The low whispering word. Um, this is what we want to talk about today. Because we, we recognize the idea that God is everywhere. Um, we, we, we recognize the idea that God is with us, but How? Is, is something that brings about um, endless amounts of frustration and doubt and despair. And, and when we look for God in the wrong places, um, oddly enough, we don't find him. So um, why, why is it so hard to accept that God would deal with us in lowly means? Right. If if God is all-powerful, he should do all-powerful things. Uh, Mostly because if I were able to do all-powerful things, I would do all-powerful things. My biggest frustration here is that I'm pretty sure God is doing his job wrong. Because I'm not going to lie to you. If I could do that, oh, I would. He did. This is where I want to go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he did, but, but um, ultimately though, this is a question of, of where promise is to be found. Because you're right, it's not that the earthquake happened apart from God's will. It's not that the fire happened apart from God's will. God caused those things. But then it also turns around and says, but God was not in the fire. What we want to talk about today is, is um, where we find God's promise. And we can find this simply in the fact that why is Elijah hiding in the mountains? Fear of what? God, I don't think you're powerful enough to protect me, so I'm going to go hide. God, if I were you, I'd be doing some fire stuff right about now. And some earthquakes, they would go just fine. I've got some people in mind. But since you're not going to take care of me, they're, they're, you can do these things fine, but... You're not going to. I better go hide in the mountains. Um, This is a question of where we can find God's promise at work. Because you're right, God can do all of these things. He he is certainly capable. But, um, I I mean, you could do it from the law. Just in, in terms of the second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Which means God gives you a name that is so powerful that you actually have to be careful how you use it. Right? That's why he says, don't use it wrong. And so this means that we should fear and love God, that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. We want to be cautious with how we're tossing God's name around. Um, And you can do it by the law in that every time you stub your toe and you said, damn, um, what if God actually sent down hellfire? There would not be very many coffee tables left. I mean, for starters. But we we recognize, though, that, that chiefly, The the second commandment, um, as Lutherans, has to do with teaching in God's name correctly. And so the the biggest way that we break the second commandment, according to Luther, is not that we we say damn when we stub our toe, but that we teach lies about who God is. And so we say, God will only love you if you love yourself. God will only save you if you are a good person. God will only be with you by feeling and not in lowly means like a, a small whispering word or like water or bread and wine or things like that. That is a great affront to the second commandment. And so if, if we're going, to, to, um, if we're going to, to start doing this thing where, where we want to corner God into how we would use him, we're going to end up in a bad place and we're going to miss something. So um, to a Lutheran, um, the, the low whispering word is, is everything because we say that there is an article of faith on which the church stands or falls. And I've got a clergy here who knows the answer. Um, help me out. Well, it ties into what you were just saying. um, This idea of we want, you know, we have to love ourselves before God, that we have to work with God to do it, and our article of justification would denounce that. Right. I would say that that God alone justifies through Christ's death in his word alone. Perfect. So, we are saved. Justification. We are saved not on account of our works, but on account of Christ's sacrifice for us sinners upon the cross. This is everything to us without Jesus for sinners the church falls with justification Jesus for sinners we are here so show me where justification can be found in fire like look at a fire and find me justification find me the fourth article of the Augsburg no find me the passion of the Christ in the earthquake can the low whispering word promise though here Here's where we're going to start to to fill things out. Because you know what? God can yell Hulk smash and then break everything that I don't like. But that's not going to get me, a sinner, anywhere but hell. It's just not. If if we want to try and talk about these things without God's word, we end up falling hugely short of what the, the church has always been sent to speak, of what God himself wants for us. For does he have any desire of the death of the wicked? No, but if all I want to talk about is him calling down fire upon the people I don't like, am I ever going to get to that conclusion? No. Um, in fact, without the word of God, um, these, these signs that we are so desperate for, they're, they're not only independent, but they actually start to speak against The idea of justification. The idea that that God would save sinners. If all I'm looking for, for God, is um, some sort of sign, some sort of wonder, some sort of powerful thing, and I never have his word to actually tell me what these things mean, I'm not going to just sort of have a God who does cool stuff. I'm actually going to start to build a a defense against the idea that God would save sinners. So, if I don't have a, a low whispering word that says, your Lord, your God, will take upon himself human flesh to be crucified for your sins... All I have is a God who occasionally lights things on fire. What do I not want to get? Lit on fire, right? How do I avoid this? I don't know, but I better start doing stuff. Well, that's interesting. What does do? he not in the fire either. Where is he cautious of his word? But that same fear mm-hmm. to the garden Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Right. Um, and so even to stand before God, we, we veil ourselves. And this is something that we continue with today. How do you stand before this altar to commune unless you're baptized? You cover yourself with something. The robes of Christ's righteousness to cover all your sin. To stand before God sinful is to get smashed like the spider that's in my house. He does not get put in a cup and taken outside. I squish him. This is, there, there's no discussion. There's no patience there there's no long suffering i squish the spider and in the same way to stand before god with sin is to face wrath for sin because as it turns out well the god who made you and loves you also loves the people that you sin against and when you sin against god's kids he gets really upset um so so we clothe ourselves to stand before the lord in the robes of baptism um in in righteousness that is not our own um qualification for membership at St. Paul Lutheran Church has nothing to do with tithes. It has nothing to do with your pledge. It has nothing to do with your church attendance. It has to do with your baptism. That is first and foremost the requirement. You be baptized. And once you are baptized here, what are you? You're a child of God, but you're also a member here. Which is why we don't do rogue baptisms. Um, We actually make sure that once new life is made, we, we feed it. Because it's a, a terrible atrocity to have a child make new life and then abandon that child. Oh, that's, that's not nice. Um, so one of the things, though, that we're going to come to see is if we're going to deal with God, we've got to know where he is, where his promise is, how we can actually find any sort of comfort, any sort of hope, any sort of assurance at all that's not sort of based on, well, I didn't touch this thing last time and nobody got lit on fire. So that's probably true. As long as I don't touch this, nobody dies. Don't step on a crack. This is where superstition starts to come from. You're dealing with God in terms of sign and consequence apart from word. That's what superstition is. I'm pretty sure that as long as I wear my purple shirt, there won't be an earthquake this day. And so far, so good. Or I can toss salt over my shoulder, or I can do any number of ridiculous things. But all of these happen when we divorce God from his word. And we start to try and find them in these great signs. There is something inside of our, our um, Lutheran confessions, our, um, our, our Lutheran rule book that tells us when or how, how, how Lutherans behave, what Lutherans believe. in the small called articles was something that Luther wrote right as he was getting ready to die. So, you know, like when you kind of get to be a little bit older and so you can be real grumpy in public and nobody yells at you anymore. I'm looking forward to it so much. Um, Luther, in the small-color articles, this is him being grumpy. Um, He's a grumpy old man. He's had it, and he's just laying it all out there, and you kids will listen to him complain in public. But he says this thing that that sticks with us, that that is very, very sharp, that that is very, very important if you want to understand how God works. He says that God does not wish to deal with us in any other way than through the spoken word and sacraments. Whatever is praised as of the spirit without the word and the sacraments is of the devil himself. In other words, if you want to look for God and you're not looking in word and sacrament, you're doing it wrong. And if you're finding something that you're convinced is from God and it's not from the word or the sacraments, it's not from God, who's it from? The devil. And so I can say, for example, God, you know, I am, I am feeling unfulfilled in my marriage. I'm not, it's cool. Um... Give me a sign, though. And if you give me a sign, I I will totally leave my family and I will go and have fun for myself. Oh, that's a sign right there. I just found the thing that told me that I should do the thing that I wanted to do all along. Who's that from? That is not from God. It's not. And you can do it where he's clearly speaking. And so I can say, all right, so I know that that's not okay because I have a sixth commandment. I have a fourth commandment. I have commandments that tell me, thou shalt not do that thing, sinner. Repent. Um, But... There are other places where it's, it's even harder yet. Um, places where God is not necessarily um, spoken inside of his hidden will. And so I can say, well, where should I go to college? And, and if I want to ascribe to the divine, that I have to make the right choice or else? No. Am I really saying that if I go to the wrong school, God won't follow me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's hard to trump. Um, like, if God spoke and told you. But this is, happens inside the church all the time, too. Uh, there, to this day, especially in the evangelical bent of Christianity, um, your, your preacher will have, you know, sort of visions from God. Um, signs, feelings from God. And so I, I have, you guys, I just, I'm going to try it out today to test it out. I have this feeling from on high last night that um, God really needs us to, uh, to, to get a trampoline from my yard. Also, God really needs you to pay me more money. God said, you guys. Are you really going to argue with God? Yeah. It's happened. It's happened. Um, And and so, how do you argue with that? Well, you... You either try and claim the divine for yourself, and then you split the church, or you if you're a Lutheran, you say, get behind me, Satan. Um, because this is what we recognize. These are where these things are coming from. Um, When we start to divorce God from the places where he's promised to work, we're going to find something. It's not going to be God. And and then ultimately, it will let us down. That's the thing about idols. They cannot save the way we think they can. And so when we put our hope and trust in these things, it it all starts to fall apart. And so if all you're looking for is a sign or a wonder or or a feeling or, or anything... Where does that fall apart? Well, what we want God to be. Of course, I can't remember where I heard it, but um, once I once heard somebody describe God. When we treat God like this, we want Him to be the divine vending machine. We come put yeah. our orders in, put our number in, and God gives us exactly what we want in the way we want it. Right. For So so when we we divorce God from his word, we also divorce God from his will. If there's no word that says, this is who I am, this is what I like, this is what I don't, how do you know what God's will is? And if there's no will of God, then the only will left is mine. So of course I'm going to put my quarter in and try and get some Cheetos from God. Um, Because I like Cheetos, and God should want me to have Cheetos. Um... When, when you separate God from means, you end up with, with weird stuff. Um, how does law and gospel work without God's word? One of those disappears. The other one you can kind of reason out. Like genuinely, the, the shadow of the law is written on all men's heart. You won't see the fullness of it without God's word. But I can recognize uh, on some level that my life will be worse if people steal my things. And so stealing must be wrong. Except when they do stuff to me, um, because this is, the, this is where the gospel falls apart, um, and so I can say I can recognize that it must be wrong for people to take my stuff, but I cannot recognize that God should forgive them. in fact, I can recognize their their right to life just got void, null and void when it infringed on my desire, my will and this is the the big problem now um, with you can do it in the abortion argument um, just as well that that the, the side then that, that is, has clung to the the, the desire for um, the right to abortion is no longer even debating so much the fact that this is a a human life. It's just that it's a human inconvenience. And so that right started, but then it gets snuffed out as soon as it interferes with my will. This is what law, apart from gospel, does. It tries to find consequence for sin and watch it get punished. Um, Without gospel, though, you will never end up Christian. You'll never end up saved. There will be no hope, no peace, no forgiveness, no true comfort, unless you happen to be the strongest in the room. Um, and so, for example, if um, a Supreme Court justice were about to retire, would, um, would a whole bunch of people absolutely lose their minds? Because they're afraid. We might not be the strong ones for the next 20 or 30 years. And that'll go back around before you put your trust in princes. But um, what we want to talk about then is... How do I know where the whispering word is? How do you know it's here, though? Because, like, I mean, honestly, there are are wise-sounding things on bumper stickers everywhere. How do you know you're supposed to come to church to hear it? Like, Oprah um, got to be very, very wealthy by saying vaguely inspiring things that sounded very wise. There's a reason that she's worth billions of dollars. She understands how to do this. How do you know it's here? Because I'm not worth that much. You just know... That's dangerous. I'm sorry. Um, Because what? what? Oh, how do you know that he's here in the word and the sacrament? I know that God promises to be within the word, but but here. When when I teach to you, how do you know to listen to me? I'm in the Bible. I'm being difficult on purpose. Um, But we have to recognize this because... uh, If there were to be another guy who said, you know, who shows up and says, you know, God sent me here and he wants me to be your new pastor. Okay, but he's not in there either. There's no chapter and verse that told you that Harrison Goodman should be pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church beginning the Memorial Day weekend of 2013. There. Now you got it. Perfect. You guys are doing great. Yeah, I'm called. Um, We have ways that we would recognize whether or not God would be here. Um, Namely through the call. There are two kinds of calls that happen in the Bible. You a question? Huh? I had three calls. And I said this is the one where I'm, I'm stuck with because God's not done with me yet here. This is the messy part. Let me, because this is what I want to actually start to talk about. Um, If it's from God, you set it aside with great peril. I don't understand how a pastor can say, I fully believe that God made me a pastor, but I'm not open to a call right now. That's gone poorly for every clergy in the Bible. You want to see a guy try and get out of it, he ended up in a whale. That's just caution. You, you take it very seriously. Um, there, there's just no way around it, which is why... Um, I, I had to take them very very seriously so let's start with there, there are two kinds of calls there is something called a immediate call and an immediate call not I have to do it right away but immediate is with means there is a call through means and there is a call immediate apart from means so um, an immediate call is God saying you're prophet now go do cool stuff and tell them my word and there is a immediate call where God did not sort of like open up the heavens and say hey you go to windside it makes dealing with calls very difficult Um, the immediate call then happens through means, through the means of the church. And so, we saw two things happen here. All right? Where there is a prophet with an immediate call, a call apart from means, if you just show up and say, God sent me here to say repent, God always does accompany his word with signs and wonders apart from the immediate call. And so, Elijah did some wicked cool stuff. Because he had nothing else to say, God sent me. I have something else to say God sent me. Don't get me wrong, I would love to do wicked cool stuff. Um, like I, I'm bummed about it a lot of days. But um, what I do have is a call document that says the saints at St. Saint Paul Lutheran Church in Winside and St. Paul Lutheran Church in Carroll have, have, have prayed and God's Holy Spirit has worked through you, the church, to call me to be the pastor. And so I know that I'm the pastor and you know that I'm the pastor because you called me and because I was installed. And so we look to those things. Was he ordained? Um, One of the ways that we do that then is we make our clergy hide on Sunday morning. Um, My personality, um, as obnoxious as it is, largely disappears after Bible study. And I go and put on clothes that are not mine and I completely hide under what? Robes, vestments, um, a stole. A chasable. We we wear these things here to recognize God has sent me. That's what the stole is. It is the mark of the one who is supposed to be preaching. Nobody wears that but the guy who is supposed to preach. And so, Elijah, who is the prophet in our text today, when he has to go and call Elisha, what's he do as he passes by him? He takes the stole, the mantle, you're the guy. And Elisha says, ah, crap. Um, This is how we would mark these things. This is a call with, with means. And so we can actually then have any kind of comfort. Otherwise, I can't stand in that pulpit because I know full well I can't do wicked cool stuff. And I know full well that most of you uh, have been Christian longer than me. I think all, no, I got a couple of you beat um, in the back. Um, The vast majority of you are smarter than me, have done this longer. Why me? How can I say these things with any sort of confidence? And then I put on a stole and God says, all right, I'm going to speak through you, dummy. Just relax. And... So far, so good. This is how I'm normed. First, I'm sent to to learn these things so that I don't just run my mouth with whatever happens to come to my mind, but I'm bound to something bigger than myself. Namely, when I was installed here, I promised you a couple of things. I would only teach the Word of God, nothing that's not in there. And I would only teach the Word of God as we understand it by the Book of Concord, which means that when I'm saying stuff and you're like, I don't know about this, Pastor. We didn't do this when I was growing up. I can say, all right, let me check because I might be wrong. And then I go and I get my Bible and I go and get my Book of Concord. And we look in them together. And we say, all right, what's it say? Because if I'm wrong, I need to repent. And if I'm not, then what we're doing is okay. But it's, it's always apart from me. This is the joy of the immediate call. Because as much as fun as I would love to like, bring down fire and do all sorts of wicked cool stuff, the immediate call is the one who has the safety net. The prophet goes out purely on what the Lord said. I go, not only that the Lord said go, But even the Lord said, here, say these words. They've been said a lot of times before. Don't change them. In the stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How does that work? God said, go speak those words. And so in the same way that if um, Zeke's playing uh, outside and Zoe has to go and say, it's time for dinner. Mom says, come inside. It's not Zoe's voice. It's mom's voice. And we don't mess with that noise. Um, So, the question of how do you deal with the immediate call? Um, In our parlance, very sloppy. Um, So there's two ways that this has been done. Um, inside of Lutheranism. There is the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod way and there is the way that has been done um, through time and history in just about every other Lutheran organization as long as there have been Lutheran organizations since the 1500s in the entire world. We stand almost completely unique in this in that we don't have something called a bishop. Now a bishop is sort of like a district president who actually gets to do stuff. Um, We have a district president who has no real authority. He can go and tell you stuff and then I can say, oh that's great that you think that and I can completely ignore him. And do whatever I want. Because we, uh, we, uh, we find our, our church authority rooted in the congregation. And so, um, if you have a bishop, the bishop tells you how you're going to deal with your calls. And so the bishop says, Goodman, I know you got three calls right now, you're going here. And I say, I don't like that. And he says, too bad. And I say, well, at least I know. We have a sloppier system. We do. Because everything comes from the congregation. And so how did y'all vote to call me? Or how did y'all call me? Excuse me. Mm-hmm. We believe that God does guide his people. We believe that God has promised to provide these things. And so when when your congregation then gathered before I I was called, you prayed and you say, God, guide us. And then you you voted. And we recognized that that was God working through the means of this system to to call a pastor. And so then I had two calls. Because I was called to Spencer and Lynch, Nebraska, and I was called to Winside and Carroll, Nebraska. And it's ugly messy. Huh? See, this is one of those, because it's messy, there are no, there are different guys who have different understandings as far as how long this goes. I know guys that have sat on calls for months at a time. Um, I am firmly of the opinion that if Jesus can die and rise in three days, you probably ought to figure out where you're going to speak in in about such time, Um, which made this last batch really uncomfortable for me, because they came Friday before I jumped in a car and disappeared for two weeks. So I had to sit on those things for at least a week longer. Um, than I was necessarily super thrilled about. Um, but God thinks some things are funny that I don't understand. Um, as far as how, um, we recognize that, first of all, um, anything that I do, am I Jesus Christ? That's good to recognize. Anything that I do will be tainted by sin, correct? Because sin is sin. Will God forgive me? How do I know this? I'm gonna go right back to what is firm and solid, justification given in word and sacrament so I have two valid calls and a couple weeks ago I had three valid calls knowing full well that I would make a mess of this knowing full well that God would forgive me there is quite frankly no perfect answer but there's also no wrong answer I'm still called to win yeah all along There there was never a point in time where I was not called to windside. I had three perfectly valid calls. I had one then to New Mexico, one then to Texas, and one then to Nebraska. And so then we we start to say, all right, God, where can you use me? Um, And it's ugly because, honestly, if we were Pentecostal or Baptist or some sort of Protestant bent, we go by a feeling. And so I say, well, God, give me the tingly-winglies wherever you you need me to be. And so I'll I'll spin around with a stick, and if I get the tinglys pointing north, I go north. I get the tinglys pointing south. I go to the bathroom. It, it just—it depends on what's going on. We don't have that. And so we, we again try and work through means. And so, all right, there's a, a congregation in, in Nebraska that desperately wants to be Lutheran. That over the last five years, we have worked to establish not only um, goals and growth, but, but trust. Um, is this something that I, I can honestly believe that God is done with? There are elements of this congregation right now that I just could not for the life of me step away from and see go into vacancy. Um, and so I, no, I'm not done with you guys. Um, it, it's sloppy and I probably sinned, but God most certainly forgives and he blesses. That's the joy of this. Any three, that's just it. Any three of them. Um, because the God who established those other two churches is going to provide for them. And so if not me, then somebody else. Um, One of the things that has tended to happen um, is it might just not be time for the next guy yet in Texas and the next guy in New Mexico, that if that call were issued to him right then, it wouldn't be a place where he could leave. He might have had plates spinning. Uh, God is working these things. And so what we recognize, again, all the way through is who is Lord of the church? Who has to take care of this? Which means should I have gone to Texas, you would have been taken care of because God would have taken care of you. Should I have gone to New Mexico, Texas would have been taken care of. And God is at work inside of this whole thing. He has to be. Anytime we try and put it on ourselves, it gets completely without promise. Because remember, that low whispering word is the thing that guides us all the way through. Um, Questions on that? Does that kind of get after what you're saying? You know, um, it's, it's hard to be without a pastor because as it turns out, um, this, is, this is a source of comfort that you have a guy that God says, trust, hear, receive. Um, and, and for that matter, pastors also do very, very poorly apart from congregations. Um, it, this, is, this is chicken and head. Neither do well when you divorce the two. Um, one flaps around maybe a little bit more and one squawks maybe a little bit more but they were actually meant to go together and so um, as Lutherans and this is how we understand um, especially our call process the way it is um, a church is not a pastor alone and a church is not a congregation alone a church is God uniting these two together that people would receive word and sacrament for how can they hear unless somebody's speaking He does. And this is again... Good. And this is where the stole becomes very, very important. Um, in a vacancy. And so, if, or even if I'm, I was on vacation for a week, um, and so somebody else stood in this pulpit. How do you know to listen to them? The elders put the stole on them. So whenever I'm not here... I talk to my elders and I say, him. And they say, him. And we say, him. And then he wears a stole. So that should somebody else come in vacancy, you know whether or not you ought to listen to him. And, and quite frankly, when I showed up brand new five years ago, how did you know to listen to me? Because you could look at me and you say, the last pastor was smarter. I know. And he was and is. And I can say, the last pastor sang better. And he does and did. I know. And I can say a lot of other things. How do we listen to this guy? And then I look at that, that stole, and I say, all right, God, you're going to do this thing, even through that. All right, fine. So be it. Um, we, we insist that God be tied to means, because when we start to divorce God from the means, it ends up on the people, on the unpredictability, on the law and not the gospel, wholly and completely. And not even the fullness of the law, just the shadow of it that we can sort of delve out for ourselves. Um, it's, it's honestly um, watching us try and deal with the law apart from the full revelation of the word of God is, is watching like elementary school kids try and figure out where babies come from. Like they have some general ideas, but if you actually listen to the conversation, it's hilarious and awkward and uncomfortably wrong. They're doing their best to puzzle it out, but until somebody actually comes along and explains the whole thing, They're never going to have the fullness around it. In the same way, we deal with the law that clumsily and that awkwardly and that uncomfortably because we we just try and do it by cause and effect. And we have this idea of what's fair that really slants the thing because we ourselves are tainted by sin. And so, as my children try and puzzle out what's fair inside the household, um, what happens to be fair all the time? Nothing. I don't understand it, but it's always not fair. Um, But that's not fair has really sort of come to mean I don't like that this thing is happening. You're not going to get the fullness of the law from I don't like, this is happening. Right? Because the times I really enjoy the seventh commandment being broken are not the times it's being broken against me, but the times I'm breaking it against others. Right? So again, God's word would come in and teach me the fullness of this law and the sweetness of the gospel that I can actually stand to, to, to bear such a burden of the law. Christ has borne it for me. Um, are, are you with me on this? questions or comments so as we we continue on in this sense then um, God then through the low whispering word makes Elijah a promise I know you think you're the only one left there will be a remnant how come there will be a remnant do you remember He's promised the word of the Lord endures forever. But he's also promised that there will be people who hear it. And he's also drawn a line, by the way. Those who look to the word and those who look to something else. Let's go to verse 18. Um, 1 Kings 19, 18. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the needs that have not bowed to Baal. And every mouth, That has not kissed him. Where's the line that God draws? I don't like your phrase and can I play with it? Um, Because I see where you're going with it, but it's more. Um, It's not those who have not abandoned me, I will not abandon them. Um, But there will be help according to what you look for. Um, Those who have bent the knee to Baal. They have sought help where? Not in the low whispering word, but in the fire. They'll find what they lot, looked for fire. Um, this is our first commandment. You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Now, the reason that God does this is, is um, not just because money is bad. Who gave you money? a man. Not just because a big harvest is bad. Who gave you the harvest? Where was the fire? That it, where did the fire come from? Where did the earthquake come from? Where did the big wind come from? It all came from God. But that which we trust in is that which must endure. And the reason that he calls us not to trust in idols, first of all, is because he actually wants to be the one taking care of us. He actually wants to be our God so much that he says, don't have any other gods. I want to take care of you. But also because we, he recognizes that if we put our trust in these things will only be helped according to the measure by which they can help us. And so if my greatest, most important thing in the world is stuff, money, what's the problem? People, People are more important than money. Good. Um, what's that? I'm sorry. You trust in the creation, and the creation's dying right now. We broke it. Sin destroyed creation. The creation that we put so much trust in seriously got completely wrecked because two people took a bite of fruit. It was not as stable as you thought. If you wanted help, you find it within the God who actually made it for our good in the first place because that God who made it can also fix it. And he will. This is our hope in the last great day. If I want to be really blunt, I can't take money with me. It will not help me. I know very rich people who still die. And I know very poor people who... Also die, but are brought through death and unto life again. Yeah, the wages of sin is death. Um, And so our hope then is the free gift of God, which is life everlasting in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think that's a Bible verse in Romans 6, right? Something like that? Yeah. Um, But if this is the case then, when we actually wanted to start to see what the church is going to be, we recognize two things. One, the church was not called to growth. The church was called to faithfulness. God did not say, get the most people you can in a room however possible. He said, those who have not bowed to Baal will will be saved. Be faithful, I will handle the rest. There will be a remnant no matter what, because God's word actually does the thing it's supposed to do. In fact, if you go by the numbers at this point in time, there are a lot more than 7,000 who had bowed to Baal. And it's ugly and it's dark, and I don't like it. that's, That's what it was. If there's going to be help, it has to come from that which actually does save, namely the low whispering word that actually speaks peace to sinners. Um, and, and, and so then our calling to be the church is then to echo this, give you the, the pure gospel, the, the actual honest truth that, that does save the sacraments where God would actually place himself, um, to, to, to recognize that where God puts himself, he puts himself that we might find him. We look for him, we insist on trying to find him in the fire and he never promised to be there. And I, as it turns out, we can't find him. No. God chose this box for itself for our benefit. Absolutely. So that we would be able to understand and access. Right, it's a bad idea. I know you're broke, but don't do that. Um, No, uh, this was the same problem with the incarnation, though. That that we wanted something more impressive than the person of Jesus. Um, The reason that, though, he became like us is that we can actually get to him. If your religious experience is tied to a mountaintop in India where you'll get an amazing view and there's one wise guy sitting there, how many of you can afford to go there? How many of you can't? If God is going to make himself accessible to you, wherever there is water, and somebody who can speak a few words, how then can you access God? Quite easily. And I know where, because he's promised I'll be here. The, the danger in looking for God where he's not promised to be found is, as it turns out, he won't be there. He's promised to be found here for us. And, and so he's placed himself into these lowly means. For one, because he became lowly that he might redeem us. This is tied to the incarnation, tied to the very character of who God is. But more, so that he wouldn't be so hard to get a hold of, because he actually wants all to be saved. Um, you got anything? Cool. This is about where um, we're running out of time. So does anybody else have any questions or comments? All right. right. I was going to say, one of the things in 1 John 4, is the the witness is the water, the blood, and the spirit. Mm-hmm. These three agree. These three agree. And it's important because the spirit, of course, speaks through the God's word. Right. And absolutely. We're not saying this just because we think the Bible is great. It is great literature, but it actually points us there in the New Testament and says, "Hey, you want to find me? Do you want to get my good, and here's where you get it." Absolutely. It's a great New testament. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Uh, All should we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come.